0: And welcome to the Hungry for Authenticity podcast, an unpolished show where I, your host Megan Johnson, think deeply out loud. Ultimately, I aim to seek biblical truths on tough topics with you. Today, we're finally finishing our series, and we will be specifically talking about homosexuality and abortion. So let's get rolling. I've been talking about this for a couple episodes now. We're finally going to finish our series. Uh, why Christianity Offers More Than Progressive Culture. And in this series, I actually com- combine homosexuality and abortion, and you'll see why as I read. So we're going to go straight into it, and then I have some final wrap-up thoughts uh, to end it. So here we go. The Delusion of Bodily Autonomy, Homosexuality and Abortion. Homosexuality and abortion are clearly two hot topics. I remember doing debates on them in junior high and now I'm well past junior high and there remain hot topics to this day. I've been putting off addressing these for some time because what's new to say that hasn't been said? By way of reminder, this blog series is written for evangelical Christians who find themselves attracted to progressive culture. They find the Christian faith intolerant, bigoted, homophobic, misogynistic, and a barrier to the social justice movement. This audience sees little, if any, reasons for staying in the Christian faith. My driving purpose is to convince them otherwise. American progressive culture is attractive to this Christian because it presents partial biblical truths and disguises them as full truths. So far, we've discussed these tenets of progressive culture—social justice, self-love, modern feminism, and my truth. However, these last two topics, homosexuality and abortion, don't fit my blog formula Initially, we defined the tenet and talked about how it's a partial biblical truth, but ultimately a false ideology. Afterward, I shared why Christianity offers more. But homosexuality and abortion are different. First, I don't feel the need to define them. We all know what they are. Second, whether you agree with it or not, the Bible is very clear that it does not condone homosexuality. Leviticus eighteen twenty-two to 24 Romans one twenty-seven. The Bible is also very clear that human life begins in the womb, Psalm 139.13-15, and condemns the killing of innocent life, Jeremiah 7.6 and Jeremiah 22.17. There are no partial biblical truths here. So the only thing we need to discuss is why Christianity offers more than homosexuality and abortion. This is tricky because I know that progressive culture is quite persuasive. Specifically, the slogan, my body, my choice comes to mind. Progressive culture teaches bodily autonomy that our bodies are our own. Thus, we can do with them as we would like. They say men can have sex with men and women can have sex with women. After all, it's their bodies. They also say that women can abort their babies during pregnancy. After all, it's their body and their choice. Now, this makes sense if you believe that you have bodily autonomy, but consider this excerpt from Chuck Swindoll's Mark Commentary. The world is not ruled by humanity. Ours is not a democracy in which people hold the reins of power. The world is a dictatorship in which Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2.2 2. Fallen humanity is held sway by delusion that men and women have absolute autonomy to think and act as they desire. The fact is, however, they are unwitting vic- victims of that enemy of God, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2.2 2. The concept of, back to my thoughts, the concept of bodily autonomy is, in fact, a false delusion. The fight for homosexual and abortion rights under the idea of autonomy is a scheme of the enemy. It's a way he falsely empowers humans and leads them to use their bodies to disobey God, i.e. homosexuality and abortion. The enemy is clever because he makes them believe they have power and is their choice. But they are puppets in the end and he's controlling the strings. Conversely, God clearly tells us that our bodies are not our own. 1 Corinthians six nineteen 19-20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. As Christians, we are aware of this concept, but we either don't hear it enough or we don't truly internalize its meaning. Plus, let's be honest, our bodies feel like our own. After all, we control our bodies. We decide how we move them, use them, and feed them. But God is clear that to wholly follow him, we must give up the false idea of bodily autonomy. Our bodies are essentially on loan to us from God. We are no longer our own because we have been bought with a price, the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross. We house God's presence, the Holy Spirit, inside of our bodies. Therefore, the purpose of our bodies is to bring glory to God. In other words, our life's goal is to seek to please him by becoming more Christ-like. 2 Corinthians 5.9 One fundamental way we do this is by submitting to his authority and exemplifying godly obedience in our thoughts and actions. Satan's promise of bodily autonomy sounds like the better bargain, and it certainly is attractive, after all. God calls for us to be obedient to him by fighting the sinful desires of our bodies. Meanwhile, Satan gives us permission to roam free doing whatever we want with our bodies. But thank goodness for us, Christianity offers more in the long run. Christianity offers more because in the end, when we live with God in eternity, we will receive new bodies uninfected by sin. These bodies will be perfect. They will not have disease or be tempted into sin. In fact, obedience to God will be easy. We will have bodily autonomy because everything we do with our bodies will glorify God. We don't think about or talk about this nearly enough. We can look forward to having perfect, incorruptible, and imperishable imperishable bodies one day. This is hopeful good news. (laughs) Unfortunately for now, we live in the enemy's world where he falsely promises bodily autonomy. In the meantime, we must treat our current bodies not as our own but as God's. It most certainly is going to be challenging. After all, it is a fight between our flesh and God's spirit in us. Romans 7. Beyond the internal battle, there is a war going on between the enemy and God's people as he tries to tempt us into sin. Ephesians 6. But God has entrusted you with your body to serve him, not yourself, not progressive culture, and certainly not the enemy. Quick, as I'm reading this, I... What's kind of funny is I didn't plan this, but after this episode releases, I'm starting a nutrition and fitness series, which is all about these, are these bodies that are on loan from us, uh, are on loan to us, to us from God. Uh, so actually transitions really nicely. Okay, here's the closing remarks that I've written regarding the blog series. And then I have kind of two big thoughts uh, to share after. I have a few closing remarks as I wrap up this blog series. 2 Timothy 4 3 through 5 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. By having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I'm unsurprised that Christians are attracted to progressive culture and leave the church because of it. This 2 Timothy verse shows that this is not a new phenomenon. The enemy is deceptive and cunning. He uses partial biblical truths and disguises them as full truths. It's a clever plan that many have succumbed to. Progressive culture is undoubtedly attractive. After all, it promises social justice, self-love, relative truth, woman empowerment, and bodily autonomy. Who can compete with that? it's everything that our sinful flesh desires. To top it off, Christianity gets a bad rap. We're labeled intolerant, bigoted, homophobic, misogynistic, and a barrier to the social justice movement. So perhaps it's just easier to go with the flow of progressive culture than being that weird Christian Bible thumper who's just stuck in the past. If you agree with this thinking, I have two thoughts to share with you. First, we have this misconception that to be anti-cultural, you must attend rallies, have bumper stickers, and berate anyone for not agreeing with you. This type of person unfortunately captures media attention and mischaracterizes Christians. It is possible to adhere to God's standards gracefully and calmly. Let's be honest, progressive culture has and will likely continue to win on this side of eternity. That doesn't mean we roll over and give up. But it also doesn't mean we need to be combative in our interpersonal relationships. When the situation presents itself, whether with a coworker or during a dinner conversation, you go with God's standard. For example, unborn babies are defenseless. So when given the opportunity, defend them. And God clearly defined marriage as between one man and one woman. No human or government has the power and authority to redefine what God has made clear. So when given the opportunity, defend God's definition of marriage. Actually, again, this is just tying in really well. That paragraph reminds me of the book I'm reading, which is Tactics by Greg Kokel and how to gracefully and calmly handle these kind of conversations. It's going to be episode one day, um, maybe after our nutrition and fitness series. But anyway, moving on. Second, unfortunately for us, eternity isn't talked about a whole lot. Eternity feels far away and intangible. But Christianity is all about hope. The Old Testament hoped for a savior. Then Jesus came. Now we hope for eternity where we can spend forever with him. The rub is that it doesn't feel real. This life you and I live feels very real. But traditional Christianity offers more in the long run, aka eternity. It doesn't promise much here and now like here and now like progressive culture does. But if we faithfully hold on to the hope of a perf- future, perfect eternity, We will not be disappointed in the long term. One last thought. Why would I spend time writing this blog series? After all, I know that these blogs likely fall on deaf ears, or eyes, I guess. The population I really want to hear this message probably couldn't care less about it. For me, I've personally grown through this experience. It's a way I worked out my faith and thought through culturally relevant topics, The process of studying each tenet of progressive culture and contrasting it to scripture has given me confidence. I feel more confident speaking about these topics because I've thought through them critically and biblically. Had I not done this, my default would be to repeat a few one-liners that I memorized from, from some podcast. And more significantly, I hold on to the hope that perhaps one person is changed by it. I hope that God uses these words from this tiny little blog to bring someone back from their wandering, but that's up to God and I'll let him sort that out. I wrote this a few years ago, and uh, I didn't know I was going to be starting a podcast, which is kind of funny, but it was a blog series that I put together. And it's funny. I uh, did this, like, not free Audible thing, but I had some sort of deal pop up, and I signed up for it. Uh, And I got my one credit today. And what's funny is um, Greg Kokel, because once I... Once I find someone I like, I usually consume a lot of their content. Like, I read a lot of their books. I listen to their podcasts. I do all that. And I, I, I really like Greg Koukl for an apologetic um, method. I don't know if you can hear in the background, but I have two dogs snoring in <laughs> nearby. Uh, he came out with a book recently called Street Smarts. And... Oops, it's going to play. I was going to try to read you the this is audible oh my goodness megan megan megan, megan. you're listening to the audio production uh-uh. okay well i was hoping to read the little snippet but okay title details let's see okay here's what it says uh how to engage in productive conversations with those who challenge your christian convic- convictions Street Smarts offer model questions and sample dialogues to help guide believers in persuasive conversations about hot-button issues like relativism, the trustworthiness of scripture, the claims of the gospel, abortion, marriage, sex, and gender. This book will teach you how to tackle those discussions that believers often avoid because they feel out of their element, vulnerable, or exposed. Lucid, well-organized, and easy to follow, Street Smarts provides a specific set of questions the same questions Koko uses in his own encounters that are embedded in sample mini dialogues that you can use to have fruitful debates with non-believers. So adding that to my list of things to read, I haven't even finished tactics. Well, I finished tactics, but I'm going through it a third time. I'm writing some more notes for you guys, but excited to read that one. And when I saw I got my free credit of the month, I immediately clicked that one. So, and it just really ties into what we're saying. So I'm sure we'll be continuing this conversation because it's going, this is very persuasive or pervasive in our culture. Uh, okay. Here's my other two things regarding this is my daughter, (laughs) in order for me to record a podcast, we do room time and then we do iPad time. And the room time allows me to get organized, kind of get my thoughts written down, pull up, links etc etc and then after the room time timer she comes running to my room and she gets the ipad and she gets to watch have some ipad time while i record or do my homework or work on my book etc and that's how i can get some stuff done uh in the mornings uh while our son is napping and i she watches coco melon uh and so recently, I saw, oh, there's a new one called Cocoa Melon Lane. So I had her click on it. And I've I've kept my eye on Cocoa Melon, And so it's been very, it's like, you know, she learns. It's been informative. It's pretty neutral. Uh, and so I haven't really felt the need to be worried about it until... I went, you know, I finished recording one day. I walked into her room. I was like, hey, it's time to pause. And I make her press the button. I don't take it away from her. I make her pause it and hand it to me. But sometimes she doesn't do it with a happy heart. And then we have a conversation about it. But I was looking over her shoulder and I saw that in the new one, there is two dads. And I was like, oh, so I caught my attention. So before I had her pause it, I just watched it for a little bit and then you know like my heart just sank because I realized I'm like oh like th- these aren't like two friends like they're clearly showing that this this family has two dads as the parent Um, and I'm I think I've mentioned this before I am off social media I do not know what's going on in that social media world and so right before I I had written this down that I wanted to mention this after I finished this blog series. And so I just Googled it real quick. And of course, I mean, article after article popped up and I want to read you something from a New York post article I thought was interesting. Basically they parents are, especially Christian parents um, are outraged by this, that Coco Melon is now introducing a gay couple into their content And uh, a guy named Hild is his last name. Uh, He said in this article, Hild argued the episode went beyond pushing a general acceptance for same-sex families and seemed to be encouraging cross-dressing, which he believed was pushing an agenda. Given everything that is going on with drag queen story hours and sexually explicit books in schools and libraries. I should probably also mention, I didn't see this part. I just learned it from reading this article that apparently in that one little episode the dads were encouraging their son to dress in a tutu and like dress like a dancer like a girl uh continuing the uh, reading from the article now they've injected a far left woke political agenda into a frankly in to into it in a frankly disgusting way i don't think the word groomer is even too far to use he remarked last little quote The leader of the Consumer Advocacy Organization, that's the guy talking, Hild, claimed most shows that are open about their political activism from the start aren't successful. Media companies like Netflix realize this, Hild believes. So they have to sneak these themes into well-established shows in an insidious and deceptive way, he said. I will link that article. I'm going to save it so I don't accidentally delete it. Um, But it, because... I'm people like me I we've trusted Coco Melon it's been very neutral it's been um Olivia sorry our daughter loves it and she learned a lot from it and she after I've had time she's singing it and it's just a bummer so now (laughs) I tell her I I didn't explain anything but I did tell her I have her show me the old melon one and she she learned she can only click on the old old melon one not the new one Um, and that's how we kind of navigate that right now but it reminds me of this progressive culture it's seeping in and we have to be careful and it's kind of was a wake-up call to me that i need to be careful the content my daughter is viewing but then it also makes me think like what is the balance between hiding that from her or sheltering that from, from her when she's going to live in a world where she will see this. So maybe that's the ultimate question. Parents are constantly trying to figure out. Um I don't want to completely protect her from it, but... I do want to protect her from it and I want to protect her innocence and I feel like as a toddler it's probably she's she's learning how to categorize and there's mommies and daddies and children and like that's how a family unit is made up and you know and she's learning girls versus in boys and it's I'm, cu- I'm curious when right now it feels, I think, very black and white in her brain. And she's learning how to categorize. But I'm curious when it switches to understanding these nuances. And, I don't know, TBD on how that all shakes out. So there's that. And then my last thought is, so I never watched the original Squid Games. But recently there was like a reality show, Squid Games, where real people did the they 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 con- reconstructed some of these games to play and it was it was fun to watch but it was interesting and it made me think of this blog series is as the show progressed that obviously, obviously there can only be one winner as the show progressed the you know the the amount of people got smaller and smaller and they started trying to create a utopian society governed by their own rules so someone who was more vocal or loud would be like hey instead of us all trying to gang up on each other why don't we work together and if we do it this way we can kind of beat the system but not but you had to have everyone's buy-in and people and I remember there's this one scenario where a girl was like I never agreed to this. I'm here to win. <laughs> like I'm not here to make everyone happy and to follow your own set of rules that you think is best for everyone. Because then she became the outsider, because she wasn't living by the group set of rules. And it made me f- it made me think of this is kind of how Christians feel. Like we are living in this culture where the loudest Voices are progressive culture, and they're yelling at us and they're yelling at everyone else about all these social justice, feminism, all the things we've talked about. And we're over here being like, We never agreed to this, and yet we're getting criticized because we're not following your set of rules. Beyond that, progressive culture is just making up rules as they go. But guess whose rules haven't changed? God, (laughs) His rules. I mean, look at the Bible, they've been around for a long time. Not only that, he's placed this moral, the moral rules on our hearts, whether we acknowledge that or not. That's Romans 2.15, which says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So I'm trying to figure, where am I going with this? progressive culture feels like they are being moral because they're living by their own rules their own standards and it just doesn't work not only that they're not acknowledging that part of this feeling of morality and justice is actually stemming from the fact that they are made in God's image and they have the moral rules of God on their hearts and yeah I think I'll just stop it there Um, essentially God's standard has never changed he is timeless his word is timeless and as Christians it makes sense that this is the world we live in but it doesn't mean we fall prey to it anyway I'm sure there's a lot more we can talk about that and I'm sure we'll touch on it in many future episodes but that was fun And I hope you enjoyed the series. And we're going to be starting a new one next week, um, a nutrition and fitness series. Lots of thoughts on that. So excited to join. Have you guys join me next time. Bye.